Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today's second reading is from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, Philippi was the leading city of northern Greece. For the Romans, it was a strategic position that linked Europe and Asia together. The city was actually named after Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great, who conquered that territory. Now, the passage that we hear contains one of the most precious texts in all of the Bible. It's taken from chapter 2, from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, Philippi was a community in which Paul thoroughly loved. It was a community that Paul founded himself. He knew them intimately. He probably had dinner at their houses, probably spent the night over, baptized all of their children. And so he knows them very, very well. Now, what's also interesting is that Philippi is the first European city that Paul has evangelized. Prior to this, Paul worked in Asia, which is in present-day Turkey. So Paul crosses the Aegean Sea and enters into northern Greece. And his first city is Philippi. And so Philippi was the first place where Christianity came to Europe. Now the first thing that Paul addresses or urges is unity. Notice what he says here. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Now, if there's anything that really bugged Paul, is when he saw his Christian communities fall into rivalry or division. It reminds me of the saying, the saint is someone whose life is about one thing, and that's Christ, following and imitating Jesus. Well, Paul wants the Christian community of Philippi and now ours, to follow after just that one thing, our mind focused on Jesus Christ. Now, why is this important? Well, because where division is, sin exists. It's a great principle in all aspects of life. Wherever you see division, there's also sin in some form. What precisely is the unity that Paul wants or in our faith communities? It's the unity in the mind and the attitude of Jesus Christ, such that each and every one of us has the same mindset, which is the mindset of Jesus. That's why Paul says, Have in you the same attitude that is also in Christ Jesus. Now next, Paul adopts a beautiful hymn that was already being used in Christian communities. Now, Paul's letter to the Philippians dates around the mid-50s of the first century. This hymn might qualify as one of the very oldest expressions of Christian faith that we have. It might go back to the 40s or even the 30s of the first century. And so this hymn was created and written just years 
right after Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. And so Paul brings in this hymn to express the unity that he's talking about. Now it begins, Jesus, though was in the form of God. Stop right there. That one sentence is incredible. And here's the first point to note. It's one of the most powerful statements regarding Jesus' divinity. Jesus was in the form of God. So it speaks definitively that Jesus truly is God. He's not some great spiritual leader amongst many. He's not some great teacher amongst many. No, he truly is God. Now it continues, Jesus did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped at. Now so much hinges on that affirmation. Where do we see someone in the Bible grasping at something? Well, Adam, right? Adam deems equality something to be grasped at. And that's precisely what original sin is. Adam, who was made in the image and likeness of God, just like everyone is, you and I are. Adam wanted to seize divinity. He was duped by the devil to think that God was a rival. Well, now Adam wants to be God himself. So he grasps at that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's the entire burden of the story of the fall of grace. The one who is not God tries to be God. And guess what happens? It all falls apart. If you want to summarize the Bible in just one sentence, that's it. When people try to be God, they place their own mind, their own will at the center of their life. See, when that happens, like a machine in which the parts are at odds with themselves, the machine becomes dysfunctional. See, that's exactly what sin does to us. Now, what's the solution to the problem? And this is the heart of Paul's teaching. The solution to the problem, Paul writes, is one who is God and doesn't grasp. In fact, does just the opposite, empties himself. Now, the bad momentum of sin had to be stopped and even reversed by a new and positive momentum. Think of the sin of this world as an avalanche. Sin is things moving in the wrong direction, moving destructively. How do we stop that? Well, there's got to be an answering force that not just stops that movement, but begins to reverse it. See, that's what Paul sensed what happened with Jesus Christ. That self-grandizement on the part of humanity, the story of Adam grasping, is now met by that self-emptying part of God through Christ. See, that's the only way the great avalanche of sin could be met and then reversed. Paul continues, Rather, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness and found human in appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So what does it mean to be God? Does it mean power and honor? Well, what it really means to be God is letting go, to be for the other. We properly call God all-powerful and perfect, and God is. But these words are nothing to do with worldly sense of power. They have nothing to do with our sense of what we think power is. Instead, the divine power of God is Jesus Christ's capacity to give himself away, to empty himself completely. 
How far did Jesus' emptying go? To the point of death on the cross. See, death came into this world through Adam and his desire to be like God. And now death is conquered in Jesus Christ and his willingness to empty himself to the point of death itself. Now it's incredible the irony between Adam and Jesus Christ. Now stop and think. In the ancient world, the cross created sheer terror with people. In the ancient world, no one wanted to even imagine the cross and all the destruction that was associated with it. But God's self-emptying love went deep down to the most terrible and feared places in the world. And here's the paradox that's implied in this hymn. If you want to imitate Jesus Christ, it means to conform yourself to that self-emptying love. If you really want to imitate Christ, it means emptying yourself, even to the point of giving yourself away. See, this is why some people think that we as Christians are strange people. We place the crucifix at the center of our church. We look up at the crucifix and we say, yeah, that's what God looks like. That's why the crucifix is always at the center of nearly every church in the world. It's the most powerful sign of what God looks like to us. What was Adam's big mistake? He thought godliness meant power, domination, self-centeredness. True godliness is just the opposite of that. It looks like Jesus Christ nailed to the cross. It was the worst, the most painful, the most embarrassing death anyone could endure. The cross was always reserved for the worst of the criminals. And yet we gaze upon the cross and Jesus and we say, that is God. That is self-emptying love. Now turn to the gospel. Jesus builds upon this theme. As Jesus often does, he offers us a stark choice. The choice between the old Adam and the new Adam of Jesus Christ. Will we walk the path of self-destruction, the path of grasping at divinity, boosting our ego, filling up our emptiness of our life with wealth and pleasure, power and honor? See, that's the path of the old Adam. We've seen where it leads. That's the dysfunction of the world. Or will we walk the path of the new Adam, of Jesus Christ, conforming yourself to Christ? Now notice here in this story, as well as throughout many of the gospel stories, Jesus doesn't care about lip service, for words, for religious titles. In fact, Jesus makes fun of the religious establishment in this parable. Well, how does it begin? The father has two sons. He asks them both to help him in the vineyard. One son says yes, but doesn't help him. The other one says no, but regrets his decision and then goes back and helps his dad in the vineyard. So who really is doing the will of God? The son that actually does something, who works. Don't rely upon words or titles. Rather decide which path to walk. The path of the new Adam of Jesus Christ or the old Adam, the path of self-emptying love, or the path of grasping? Which path do you walk? See, that's the only question that really matters. Jesus puts that question before us today, and not just today, but each and every day of our life. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.